Children may be dismissed from Children's Church. While they're doing that, Dick is going to preach for us today. Um, some of you may remember he was here for us in October. Um, I've had the privilege the last couple of years of getting to know him and work with him as Evangelism Chips. He's a national coordinator for Evangelism Chips in the U.S. And uh, so he will be preaching for us. Great. Thank you, Greg. It's a real privilege to be here with you. Kind of a crazy season that we're living in, isn't it? Uh, I thought since I was the guest speaker this morning, maybe I could talk about politics and get away with it. <laughs> you know, blow the church up so that when the pastor comes back, everything is, you know, a mess for him. But no, it's been a, I'm not going to. It is very good to be back. Uh, I'm sorry my wife is not here with me. I'm going to be here this week. She has a job back home, and so Trudy isn't with me this time, but she's praying for us. Uh, and she's loved meeting many of you from here at Maranatha, and of course, friends over at Faith as well. And, um, you know, when I, I spoke here back at the end of October, there's a really neat spirit here in this church. And I, I just want to, sometimes an outsider has to come in and tell you that just to remind you, God is working here, even in these crazy pandemic, political, racial times in which we live. And so I just want to commend you and to keep having you walk forward in faith, those of you who are online, those of you who are here or maybe watching or listening later, uh, it is very much a privilege. And I just like, for those of you who are here, how many of you are actually in, I don't know what you call them here, but it's a life-to-life -life book or a discipleship, how many of you are in those groups? Awesome. Are you having any encounters with people at all? Isn't it crazy that even in the midst of a pandemic, and I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in one group, I'm leading another group, we're about halfway through the one that I'm leading, the things that God is bringing, my, and, and is, are you finding like I am that your, your awareness is just so much higher? Uh, I wonder, honestly, over the last however many years, uh, how many opportunities I've missed because I wasn't looking. Um, my goodness, and I bet I still miss so many of them, but my eyes are more open, my ears are more open, and it's just crazy. The and I, I could tell you story after story after story, which we'll, we'll save for another time, but it's great to be here. And Dale, I want to say, uh, I don't actually think they need a sermon. You, that was awesome. And you know, the power of a story, we could see it, couldn't we? We weren't there, but we could see it. So I, I want to commend you. That was very, very helpful and very good as a, a prelude to think about communion. I appreciate that. That meant a lot to me. So um, this morning, I want, to, uh, I want to talk to you. You're in a kind of a sermon series with Pastor Greg about questions. And the question that, that's going to be there, and you, which you see, is who touched me? And underneath that is, is kind of a, a thing I want to talk to you about called what I call divine interruptions. And I'll explain that in a minute, but I'm going to tell you a little secret about me, okay? And you, you, you can share this if you want, don't share it, we can keep this between us. But 
I'm a very driven person. I'm the oldest child in my family. I'm a very stereotypical oldest child. I'm a perfectionist. I like things done in a certain way. So here's one example of my drivenness. So in the years when I was a pastor, uh, I take my sermon writing very seriously. I, I, each morning I would study. Wednesday mornings was the morning when I wrote my sermon. Now the way I do, I type my whole sermon out kind of like a transcript. I don't read it, but it's the way I, I have to think through my head to my fingers for it to come out to make sense. So we, have this under, we had this understanding at the church at which I pastored. We had a, a wonderful administrative assistant. She knew she could interrupt me anytime except Wednesday morning when Pastor Bruce is writing his sermon. The only interruption that you could interrupt me with would be a death, and it had better be hers. <laughs> Do you got the picture? Do not interrupt Pastor Bruce when he is writing his sermon on Wednesday morning. Wednesday afternoon, fine. Tuesday evening, Tuesday morning, doesn't matter. You can interrupt me. Not, what day? Wednesday morning. About once a month, the phone would ring in my office on a Wednesday morning. And, and I, was, I get so deep in this, that phone rings, and it's, it's like holy anger. She knows she's not supposed to call me, but it must be important. I'd say, yes, <laughs> with very little grace. Yes, Pastor Bruce, I am so, so sorry. I have Mrs. Such-and-Such on the phone, and she's in this situation where, and by then I'm starting to breathe a little bit, and I go, I understand. If you, if you think I should take that, I'll take that call, and then I would, take, and I would start to relax a little bit. Is anybody as tightly wound as me? Hopefully you're not as tightly wound as me. What the Lord was trying to do in those times is saying, Bruce, listen, I may interrupt your schedule at, from time to time, but you need, you need to go with me in those times. And it's at those times when God would remind me of these verses in Isaiah 55, and I learned them as a child. I needed to be reminded of them as an adult. When God said through Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you ever need a reminder like that sometimes? And I find that in my, my prayer walks these days and, and what's going on in our nation and all the mess that's going on, I've been reminded of these verses so many times. It's like God is saying, Bruce, it's not even about interruptions. It's not about this or that or the other. My ways are higher than you. I'm doing stuff, Bruce, that you don't even understand. Do you want to be part of what I'm doing? And I think his invitation to us as a church in these crazy times is, you can trust me with these interruptions, which, by the way, many of them are divine interruptions. And so we want to talk about that a little bit with you this morning in this series on questions, who touched me, but behind it is this a thing about divine interruptions. So if you want to take your Bibles with me, take them and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Now, I don't expect any of you to remember it, but when I was here and preached in October, at the end of October, we were also in Mark chapter 5. And it helps me give a little bit of context, so I'll review just a little bit. Jesus is about halfway through his ministry. At the end of chapter 4 is the famous story where Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee from the northwest down to the southeast, and there's a storm. 
and, and, and Jesus calms the storm. They get to the other side of the shore, and in, in the first part of, uh, of Mark chapter 5, the demoniac is there to meet them. I don't know if you remember that story. Crazy, crazy story. Jesus rescues him from his, the demons that are inside this guy, and instead of bringing this guy with them on tour to meet all these people, Jesus says, go home. Tell your friends, family, neighbors what God has done for you and the mercy that he's shown to you. So in the midst of this context, the disciples and Jesus are now on this side of the lake. They're about to cross back to the Jewish side of the lake for the next part of the story. Again, there's been several months between since I was last here. But what we're going to see in this particular piece of a story is something about a divine interruption that becomes a lesson for all of us. And I don't know if you're note takers or not, or if you like to take notes or write a few things down, but here's a line that if you had the set of notes that I made for you is not in there, but I want you to have this very, very simply. I want to say it this way. Interruptions are opportunities in disguise. Interruptions are opportunities in disguise. Interruptions are opportunities in what? Disguise. We just don't see it on the front end until we look at it on the back end. But if we could see it on the front end, imagine how different our response might be. I want you to also, this is not terribly important, but I want you to notice sometimes in Scripture there's these little clues to look for that we don't know how important they are. Uh, do you know anything about the, the importance of the number 12 in Scripture? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. There's going to be a couple of times in the rest of chapter 5 where the number 12 is important. And I did, I did you know, two minutes of research on this. The number 12 in the Bible symbolizes God's power, His authority. It can also symbolize completeness. How many tribes are there in the nation of Israel? Well, 12 becomes a significant number in Scripture. I just want you to file that away and see as the story unfolds and see if the number 12 appears a couple of times. Now, to give you an idea of where we're headed, I'd like to give you a mental picture of where we're going. There's just three simple parts to this message. Two are from Scripture. One is for application. The first part is this, the situation. So in verses 21 to 24, we're going to see the situation that, that Jesus finds himself in, and we're going to relate ourselves to that we're going to be in situations that, that are going to have interruptions. And that's the second part of our outline is the, opportun- the, the interruption in verses 25 to 34. It's a major one. And then finally, by way of application, the opportunity. So we're going to have the situation, the interruption, and the opportunity. Very, very simple. But my hope and my prayer is that as we unpack this story, you and I will see ourselves in this story in some way. Ready? Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, the situation. Remember, I told you that Jesus and disciples had been, if you see on this picture and you're here in the, in the sanctuary with us, they've been on the east side of the lake. They're about to get into the boat and go back up there to Capernaum on the northwest side of the lake. Here's how it begins. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, to the northwest, back to the Jewish side, the good side of the lake, as they would have thought of it then, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Can you imagine being that popular? 
So Jesus and his disciples had been in this obscure boat on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And you, can you imagine Peter and James and John and all the other guys in the boat? As you're getting close to the shore and maybe you're 100 yards away, you're going, why does it look like, what is there on the beach? And you get 75 yards away and 50 yards away and then 30 yards away. And you go, oh my goodness, Jesus, there, there's people everywhere. Could they have heard what happened on the other side of the lake? Or are they just so excited to have you back? And, and, and just imagine this big fishing boat pulling up onto the shore, Jesus and the disciples getting out on the boat, and there's just people everywhere. And what are they there for? I wonder what miracle he's going to do next. I wonder what he's going to say next. Is it going to be something profound? Is he, is he going to say something about that he's the Messiah? Or is he going to be the king? They have all these different expectations. Verse 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Now pause there for a second. Who's Jairus? Really the only clue that we have about him, it says he's one of the rulers of the synagogue. What that probably implies is that he was probably influential. He was probably wealthy. It doesn't mean that he's the... um, uh, a rabbi or a priest, what they seem to think is that that means that he was in charge of the worship service. Now, uh, uh, you said that you were one of the elders, so we'll say uh, he would, maybe he would be an elder in the local synagogue, or maybe he was the chairman of the church board, depending on whatever your structure is. So whatever, people in that village would know who he was. He would be a prominent individual. It's like, oh, Jairus is here. Jairus is panicked. For some strange reason, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, that's Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, in a crowd of people that are thronging around, what makes a person get down on his knees in front of Jesus and go, (laughs) something, something is really tearing this guy up, isn't it? Verse 23, implored him, maybe your translation has begged him, pleaded with him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Pause. My little daughter, who is at the point of death, if you want to, for me, it's a flip a page, verse 42. Did anybody want to guess how old his little girl is? Twelve. Just note that. We don't know if it's important, but she's twelve. Is it their only child? We don't know. It, but for some reason, she is sick. And the implication behind the phrase is that she, for, her, for him to have left her at home meant that when he came back, unless Jesus did something, she'd be dead. Now, our children are by now from 27 down to 19, but I remember very well when they were younger. Uh, our, our oldest daughter, when she was a little baby, three and a half months old, it, it's a whole long story, I won't tell you, she ended up with open heart surgery. We're first-time parents, she has this heart abnormality, she has to be flown to the, the University of Minnesota for this open heart surgery. I'm telling you what, I, I didn't know which end was up. I was a mess. And it all happened from a doctor appointment to an x-ray to a, oh my goodness, we need to fly her somewhere, where, where should we go with her? Just like... Are you kidding me? First-time parents? Emotionally, I'm a wreck. This guy is such an emotional state of mind, he will embarrass himself. See, see, he's a prominent person in the community. 
How, what would it take for you to embarrass yourself in a crowd of people to be able to do what he's done? Because you'd be in a panic. I don't know that this guy has any particular great faith in Jesus. I like how one author described him this way. I think this is really well said. Jairus was like so many of us in our coming to Christ. It was not his love for Christ that brought him. It was not what he could do for Christ. It was his need. It was his desperation and a glimmer of hope. Despair is commonly the prelude to grace. I really like that last line. Despair is commonly the prelude to grace. You and I are going to meet people who are in situations, hopefully not quite as desperate as that, but maybe they are, where for an instant, for a moment, their heart is raw and open. Uh, I remember a pastor friend of mine years and years ago, I think I was still in high school or college, he told me something I have never forgotten. He said, Bruce, and he didn't know that I would become a pastor, but he, he was a pastor. He said, Bruce, there are two times in people's lives when their hearts are open a little bit. You want to know what they are? A wedding and a funeral. And I've remembered that for 20, 30, 40 years. And he said, at a wedding and a funeral, he said, I always preach the gospel because there just might be a little opening. Now, you get a tragedy like this and you go, oh, my goodness. This guy's heart is wide open. Is his faith real? Is he simply desperate? We, we don't know. But his daughter perhaps is back home, how far away, somewhere in the village, about to take her last breath, and he's going, Jesus, he's down on his hands and his knees. He's at Jesus' feet going, you got to come, you got to come. In a time of desperation, you don't care what people think about you. I didn't care what people thought about me when our daughter had to have this surgery. I was a basket case. My whole life was being turned around. What do you mean? First-time parents. What? I love what Jesus does. Look at verse 24. Oh, he, he said, come lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Does Jesus make a speech? Does he say anything profound? Does he say, oh, my son, things will be well. Just trust me, he just says. He just turns and he goes. A man who's desperate in, a fan, in an amazing situation and he just follows. And what I find interesting about this, it says the great crowd followed him and thronged. I'm in the English Standard Version. Does it, what does your verse say? Pressed. It's a good, good translation. Thronged, pressed about him. Can I give you a little story to illustrate how, how much pressure this is? So people are going, this is, this is great. We're not going to miss this at all. Are, are any of you hockey fans at all? If, if you're from North Dakota, the University of North Dakota hockey team is, I like NDSU football, I like UND hockey, and I, that's the way I am. But back in the 80s, when I was finished college, I, I was back home farming, uh, the University of North Dakota's team was ranked number one, Minnesota's number two. They're, they're, they hate each other. And you're from Iowa, so I can talk about Minnesota, right? Is anybody here from Minnesota? Oh, put your hand down. Don't. <laughs> this is not about you. This is North Dakota, Minnesota. Is that Okay. Okay, so the University of Minnesota hockey team was coming to Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I wasn't a student there, but I had friends who were, and I said, can I get a student ticket to go to the game? Awesome, you can. This is the old uh, uh, Hislop Sports Arena that they had or where, where they played. And they go, yeah, so we have a student ticket, general admission, 
And uh, if you're going to get in, you're gonna, we were there like three hours early in January outside. And by the time we're there, there's already several hundred people outside the doors of this arena, and the doors aren't even going to open for like two hours. But that's okay. We're standing around. We're, you know, college-age, young adult kind of kids. Well, about an hour before the doors were supposed to open, somebody at the front must have said, the doors are opening. What do you suppose happened to, by now is about a thousand people, what do you suppose happened to that crowd of people at the, the saying that the door was open? All of a sudden it went, whoo, except the doors weren't open. I am not kidding you when I tell you I have never been in a other than a bus in Russia, that's another story. I've never been in a crowd exactly like this before where it was so tight. There was a guy with what I would say is a two-year-old child on his shoulder that if he had been able to move his arm, he could have put his arm down and his child would not have fallen. It was that tight. Like wherever your arm was, that's where it was going to be for the next. I have never been in a situation that tight. If, I, I, I tell you that story because I want you to understand the situation that Jesus is here. This guy somehow has made enough room to get down on his feet, get in Jesus' presence, to plead with him, and the crowd goes, oh, we want to see this. So this mass of people is moving toward this guy's house because they don't want to miss anything while this guy is a basket case because his daughter's about to die. So let's pause in the story before we go on and go, I hope you don't find yourself in such desperate situations as that, but you will find yourselves in situations where you go, Lord, I have no idea what to do. I'm trapped. I'm caught. I can't go anywhere. What do you want me to do? For those of you who have been traveling this evangelism shift journey with us, you've been hearing John North say, we have to have the idea that we're sent. Every time we go out of the house, we're being sent. Every time we're at the gas station, the coffee shop, the tire store, we are being sent. You never know what situation God has created for which he has sent you into to be the answer to somebody's prayer or maybe even a prayer that hasn't even been offered. Every time we leave the house, we should have this idea of, Lord, what is the situation you're sending me to? Again, I hope it's not as desperate as this situation is, but around us, people are in desperate situations like that every day. I don't really want to tell you about it because it's so personal to me, and I, I wouldn't ever want it to come back to him, but I'll just say it very generically. There's a man that I've known, because I've lived in Devil's Lake now for 24 years. I've been part of the community. I love being part of the community. I'm in the Rotary Club. I'm on the search and rescue crew. Um, a guy that I've known for a number of years, not close, but known well enough to be friendly with, his son-in-law committed suicide three months ago. To, he was, the son-in-law was married to his daughter. They had three little kids. The guy was on his way to an amazing career, and he's gone. And I'm like, Lord, how do I reach this guy? Because <laughs> I care for him. I live in this community. I really care for this guy. And again, just to be generic, I, I, I finally, after things settled down a little bit, I sent him a text saying, man, I am so sorry. I don't even have any fancy words for you. I said, if you ever just want to talk, I'd, I'd love to do that. And he, and he knew that I had been a pastor. And so he, he texted me back. He said, actually, I'd really like that a lot. Now, 
I didn't get out my theological journals. I didn't get out my uh, commentaries in preparation for this. I just go, I just care about this guy. I don't actually know where he is spiritually. You know, it's a religious community, so he's probably part of XYZ Church. It's fine with me. But when we did finally get together, you know what I did? I just asked questions and listened. I looked for ways to say something about the Lord, but honestly, in those times, how much do they actually want to hear about God? Because what are they thinking? Well, where was God when fill in the blank? I wasn't there to change the world. I was there to listen. All because of a situation. Again, that's a pretty dramatic one. But situation, situation, situation. The next section. Here comes the interruption. I told you that this is about divine interruptions. You say, this sounds like an interruption already. Well, maybe this is an interruption in an interruption. But things are about to get really crazy. Here's the next section. This is the longest part of the story. And I'll pick up the pace a little bit here. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for, hmm, how many years does it say? Mental note, 12. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent <coughs> all that she had, and was no better but was growing worse. We don't know exactly what her condition was. We just say it was one of those lady issues, and we go, that's plenty enough information, but she had this, so she's anemic. Can you imagine how tired she's been feeling for 12 years, how incapable of just living full life? If you think about it, she probably was married. Did, did, did her marriage fall apart? Did she have children? This is a, a horrible situation. Whatever little money she had is completely gone. Uh, when I was reading up about her, it said that because of this bleeding condition, she would be ceremonially unclean, so she can't worship. In, in fact, for her to be in public is almost like being a leper. Anyone she touched or anyone who touched her would automatically be unclean. So we could, we could, she's not a leper, but she's in that category of people where everyone was, oh, that's Mrs. Mrs. Smith. You know, don't get too close to her. Oh, poor Mrs. Smith. But over here, right? We've already got a horrible situation with a guy whose daughter is almost dead. Now we've got a woman who's got this bleeding disorder. What in the world is going to happen here? Verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. How did she get there? That's what I would like to know. She can't be around people. But I'll take Mark's words at face value. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. What do you think about that? You know, I'm in my late 50s. I grew up with a song called The Hem of His Garment. Does anybody remember that? Or some of your translations say that she touched the hem of his garment. When I grew up and I heard that phrase, the hem of his garment, I grew up, you know, where mom made our clothes and where everybody made clothes. I knew what a hem was. If the hem fell out of your pants, mom was supposed to sew it up. So I knew that that was the sewn portion on the bottom of my pants or on the bottom of my shirt, whatever. We, we all clear about that? So I'm going, well, what's the deal with that? Why didn't she just come up to Jesus and touch him on the back, touch him on the head, touch him on the arm? But she touches the edge 
or the hem of his garment. Now, this is just kind of fun and a possibility. Can we go off on a trail for just a little bit? There's something significant in the Jewish world that to us wouldn't be part of our, 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 our thinking or understanding anymore, and it's about what Jewish men would wear on their prayer shawls. Somebody gave me a prayer shawl a number of years ago, and it's one of my treasured things. I have it in a bag in my office. And, but on a, on a Jewish prayer shawl, in the corner, there are these blue tassels. And on the bottom of a prayer shawl, it's very significant what those things mean. And it goes back to the book of Numbers. I've got to find my Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 to 39. Now think about this. Here's what it says. Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So on these Jewish prayer shawls, the corners are symbolic and the knots, and there's a whole story to it. If you held them, you were claiming the commandments of the Lord. The Old Testament, Matthew, Mar- uh, not Matthew, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You're saying, I believe in the commandments of Scripture. We don't know for sure. This is just kind of a fun fact. She may have had some part in her of faith. Well, there is definitely a faith to push the crowd and do this where she's not just touching the edge of his garment. She's reaching for this blue tassel, almost possibly, not for sure to say, almost as if to say, I believe in who you are. Don't know for sure. But in grabbing, if she grabbed one of those blue tassels that symbolized the commandments of the Lord, it's as if she's saying, you might be, you could be. With the faith I have, could it possibly be? Does that make sense to you? I, I don't know, but it's a fun fact for you to go think about and go, there's some kind of faith in her. The, the man who comes with his daughter who's dying has a desperation faith. He, he doesn't really know, he, he doesn't know what he believes in. This woman might have a little bit more of faith after all these years and the anemia and all that stuff to say, are you really the Word? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. Are you really the Word? Whatever it is, her exact frame of mind, she believes something could happen. For she said, verse 26, or 28, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Look at verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Just like that. Just like that. And Jesus, verse 30, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? Or as in the title of our sermon, who touched me? Does any of you, does that strike any of you as strange? Uh, Jesus, aren't you God? Don't you know? In fact, look at what happens. He looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She, <coughs> she must have touched him, excuse me, she must have touched him, felt this happen, turned and go, I got to get out of here now. And Jesus, remember, remember what I described the crowd as being? Where are they on their way to? 
Jairus' daughter's house. A little girl is about to die. We've got a major divine interruption. Jesus stops. He looks around and goes, who touched me? Who touched me? He looks and he looks. Have you ever, when you were little, or some of you who are kids, have you ever done something wrong and you hope your parents don't look in your direction? And then you get that funny look on your face when you catch eyes. I think that's what happened here. She comes up to him and she tells him the absolute truth. And he said, oh, I missed verse 31, didn't I? Jesus said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? The disciples are like, Jesus. And she tells him the whole story. And Jesus in this, I I picture to be the most gracious way, he said to her, verse 34, daughter, your, what's the next word? Faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You say, well, she was already healed. In other words, it's just like Jesus putting his stamp of blessing on it and going, it's gone. It's completely gone. You're going to be well. What do you think is happening in the crowd at this point? They're pressing in on him. They're trying to get to Jairus' house. Here comes this woman. And I think, honestly, the crowd is going, what is she doing here? How many of you did she just touch on her way in here? Oh, (laughs) now we can't go worship because she's... What do you mean you healed her? Did Jesus have time for this? I mean, remember how I started my sermon. When do you not interrupt Pastor Bruce? Wednesday morning when he's writing his sermon. That's that's exactly what's happening here. You do not interrupt Jesus on his way to go heal somebody, except God says, I got this. I got this. If you're wired at all like me and, and, and you like your ducks in a row and you like things to go just the way they're supposed to go, sometimes life happens and it just blows you up. And I, ha- I found myself thinking to myself, wonder what Jairus is thinking about this. Think about that. My daughter might already be dead. Do you think he loves this woman? Oh, it's so wonderful that you were healed. No. 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 Let's be honest. How many times have we gone to God and said, no. Oh, not that way, not her, not him, not my wife, not my kid. How many times we've been on our knees before God crying and going, not that way, that way. And God says, man, I can make all things work together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose, I can make all things you don't understand, Lord, it's COVID. It was my grandma's, my mom, and I lost my job. I don't have any income anymore. We're going to have to move out of our house. It's like, God, where were you? Come on. I don't like interruptions. Do you like interruptions? There's always two or three people in a crowd who do. I love interruptions. It gets me out of my work. But 98% of us go, no, no. What did I say at the beginning? I said it wasn't in my notes, but you could write it down. Interruptions are really opportunities in, we just don't see it at the time. And that takes me to my final point, the the opportunities, which is what I want us to leave here with. 
You know, when I was originally putting this together, there was two verses that came to mind. You know, when I was a kid, I learned Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Did you learn Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For grace you be saved through faith, not of yourselves, a gift of God. I can do, do, do. But did you ever memorize Ephesians 2, 10? I try to, I try to say it, I'll miss a few words, so I'll, I'll cheat. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Here's the key. Which God prepared, what's the next word? beforehand that we should walk in them. Any good thing that you're about to do this afternoon, he's already got that planned. All you have to do is find it. God is like this great uh, scavenger hunt. But Lord, all I want to do is go home and watch football or take a nap and be with my friends. Oh, but Bruce, I have something in mind for you. If you just look, I've already prepared it in advance. Lord, I don't like interruptions. Bruce, how are we ever going to reach the world if you don't ever allow me to do any interruptions in your life? Interruptions are just opportunities in disguise. It's unfair that I'm going to quit the story where I am, but I, I, I am. There's another part to this that we can explore another time. If it, but I want you to stop and think about this just at this point. Here's Jairus. His daughter's about to die. This woman with a bleeding disorder for 12 years gets healed. Craziest divine interruption, and Jesus has it covered. The pause in the story is you're going to leave here this morning. <coughs> we've worshiped. We've celebrated communion. It's been good to be together. The fellowship that's here, some of you are at home or online or listening, listening later. What if we had... The idea that out there are opportunities that he's prepared in advance for us to find. Instead of going, ah, oh, I messed up my schedule again, we go, oh, that was kind of cool. Because if we're going to live this mission, we're learning to live as witnesses, we're, we're understanding that we're sent into this world. It's a crazy world out there. The election and the politics, the racial tensions that we're experiencing, the COVID pandemic, and I think God is sending a message to his church saying, church, are you going to trust me? I've given you three major interruptions, if not more. But in that, I'm going to save people from their sins. Would you like to be the one who gives to share with them? You say, oh, I can't do that. I get terrified around people. It may not even be your words. It might be something you do or a pause or a handshake or a, a shoveling of snow or a cup of water or come in for a cup of hot chocolate. Interruptions are just uh, opportunities in disguise. Imagine if we could leave here today with that mindset, being sent on mission in that way. Father, thank you for these crazy, goofy stories in the Gospels that when we look under the hood, we see so many things and nuances and pieces and parts and you're in total control. And you invite us to trust, uh, trust you in the midst of these crazy, crazy life things happening around us. We have health issues and we have political issues and we have racial tensions and, and in here the storm and the cleanup from just this summer is going to go on going for months and all these interruptions become opportunities. And I ask that you just lift the disguise and let us see your glory and your power and your purpose in them and the little piece that we get to play in your divine and eternal plan. May we live with that kind of hope. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.